Joining us online is Trent Horn. He's an apologist for Catholic Answers, the host of the Council of Trent podcast and the author of nine books, including Persuasive Pro-Life and Answering Atheism. He was recently on the Whatever podcast where he took part in a very long conversation and debate on abortion. Trent, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. So let's talk about the sort of tactics that you use when you're debating the abortion issue on places like the Whatever podcast. How do you prepare for that sort of thing? Well, when I'm engaged in a debate or dialogue with someone else, I make sure to watch their previous debates, see what they believe about abortion. So when I was engaging Destiny on this question, I watched his previous debates and I saw that he doesn't use the standard weak arguments pro-choice people use, like what about women who are too poor or what about back alley abortions? He doesn't even think bodily rights arguments work well. It's my body, my choice. He thinks those arguments are terrible. He believes that a person begins to exist 20 weeks after conception when you're conscious. But as I pointed out in the debate, there are many non-human animals that are very con- that are more conscious than human newborns. So why don't we give them a right to life? So Destiny's position ultimately collapses because it can't explain the unique value that only human beings have. And whenever I try to have abortion discussions, I always get back to that one question. What are the unborn? And if they're human beings, why don't we treat them humanely? Yeah, I mean, the, the consciousness argument I've always found to be uh, somewhat bizarre because, again, consciousness is actually a continuum. I mean, you see this among fully grown human beings. I mean, there are certain human beings who are capable of higher levels of thought than other human beings. And you get into eugenic territory pretty quickly if you decide to draw an arbitrary line at certain mental function. I mean, obviously, there are people who have genetic preconditions that, that makes their IQ significantly lower than the average. Why, why should we draw the level of humanity? I mean, if, if we use sort of ancient philosophy and suggest that reason is the thing that separates man from the beast, then what about people who are not capable of reason? What about people who are mentally ill? What about people who have, as I say, genetic conditions? And, and why not eliminate all those people and, and deny them a right to life? I mean, at least uh, I, I will say that Peter Singer at least takes it to its logical conclusion. He says that, you know, even the level of consciousness of a two-year-old is less than that of animals. So basically until the kid's three and smarter than a cow, then at that point you can't kill them. But until they're two, you probably could. That's right. And in fact, in the discussion with Destiny, he even admitted that when I showed weaknesses in his argument, he said, well, at worst, that's just going to push my position towards infanticide. Uh, I'm not going to accept the humanity of early embryos. But I think for many normal human beings, they have a very strong moral intuition that it's wrong to kill newborn babies. So if your view on abortion leads to the morality of killing newborn babies, then most people will see, yeah, your view on abortion is just simply wrong. Now, I think someone like Destiny might say to so, your reply, which I think is a good one. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, you continue. That's fine. Oh, sure. Well, I was going to say that uh, the reply might be that, yes, consciousness varies in different degrees, but you could still have the property of being conscious or not being conscious, just like how someone on a football team, there might be some better players or worse players. You're either on the team or not on the team, which is why I brought up to Destiny. Well, what if we had a healthy pre-conscious fetus? and we cause them to be permanently unconscious. Could we use them, for example, to do organ harvesting and just grow a brain-injured human being or do even worse things, I don't even want to say here on the show, that he admitted you could do, which just ultimately shows the inhumanity of his position. Yeah, I mean, aside from that, if somebody is in a coma and that coma is temporary, the person is unconscious. I mean, if you, every time you go in for surgery, they put you into a, a state of, of unconsciousness in order for them to do the surgery. In that state, when you are unconscious, presumably the answer is that you could be killed. And if the idea is that, well, that's time bound, well, so is human brain development, right? The, the, the whole idea there is that 
if, if, if you are unconscious and somebody drugs you so that you're in a coma and that, or, or so that you're unconscious while they do the surgery and then you come out of the, the surgery and, and the argument is you can't kill the person while they're unconscious because they will eventually become conscious again. Well, that is literally all pregnancy ever is a, is a right. thing that is not conscious gaining consciousness as time goes on. So it, it's, it's an argument that, that doesn't sustain even sort of the most basic scrutiny. But honestly, most arguments on abortion really come down to the idea that they just kind of want abortion to be legal. And, and because they want that, they, there's no way to draw any sort of consistent line at all that, for example, prohibits the killing of infants or prohibits the killing of the mentally, quote, unfit, as they would have called them in the early 20th century. Right. As I said to Destiny, we were talking about, I think the host Brian asked, what do you think is the worst pro-choice argument? And I said the worst one, which is probably the most common, is that abortion ought to be legal because abortion helps born people. I mean, that's essentially it, right? What about someone who's too poor to take care of a child, someone who's too young? Uh, abortion needs, you know, it helps born people, so it ought to be legal. And of course, the weakness in this argument is that it just ignores whatever the unborn are. We need to answer that question. If the unborn are not human beings, then I agree, abortion is not a big deal. But if the unborn are human beings, abortion simply can't be justified. So let, let's talk for a second about some of the follow-up arguments. So you, know, you have the, the arguments about levels of consciousness that you've mentioned, and then you have the arguments that Destiny didn't actually engage in about bodily autonomy. And the, the most famous argument along these lines is the, is the comatose violinist argument, uh, the argument that, that somebody hooks you up bodily to a comatose violinist uh, and, uh, and that, you know, can, are you forced to essentially carry this person around with you uh, for nine months or, or not? How do you respond to those sorts of arguments? Well, what I point out is the violinist thought experiment. Uh, it puts us in the position of the pregnant mother. But what if we change the thought experiment to put you in the position of the violinist? What if somebody hung out with a group of the Society of Musical Pranksters and they know that sometimes they'll go out, have a night of fun and antics, and they'll wake up hooked up to an unconscious person? And what if that person found out they were hooked up to you? And they said, you know what, I don't want, and, and you needed that person's kidneys to live. And they said, you know what, I don't want to take care of this guy, unplug him from me, kill him. There we see, wait a minute, you caused me to be dependent on you. So you owe me, you have a moral obligation to help me. But it gets even worse than that because this analogy is so far removed from pregnancy. An unborn child is not like a dying violinist who we choose to not save. When you unplug from the violinist, you don't start the fatal sequence of events that leads to the end of his life. You're choosing not to save his life. But in abortion, it's not the case. You have a healthy child and the, you initiate the fatal sequence of events by choosing to abort him or her. And then finally, my kidneys were not made for anybody else. If I donate to someone, that's extraordinary. That's a, a heroic act. But the uterus is designed for the unborn child. So the child, if he has any rights at all, has at least a right to the natural place he would live to receive food and sustenance. One further argument on that on that front that I've used as well is, is the fact that when th th that argument assumes no relationship whatsoever between the two people at issue. If, if the dying violinist were your brother, presumably the, the math changes pretty quickly. And if the dying violinist were your child, which is what we are actually talking about right here, then the math changes fairly dramatically. And anybody who was like, oh, my kid was hit by a car and might be dying, should, can I unplug it from me? I, mean, I think at that point, everybody goes, whoa, you want to kill your own kid? Like, that's a little bit awkward. Uh, it's a, right. uh, but most, most of these arguments, uh, arguments are, incredibly, are incredibly awkward, actually. 
Right. They don't correspond to what pregnancy actually is. And so even in that case, you're right. Some people will tell me, yeah, the violinist argument, it doesn't work in normal cases of pregnancy where you do something knowing a person could get plugged into you. But maybe it works in the case of rape. But imagine a woman is kidnapped by a rapist and she escapes and she's nine months pregnant and, you know, she's in, in a rural area trying to get away from him. And she gives birth to this child that was conceived by the rapist. Now, she never chose to engage in intercourse, but this is still her child and the child is completely dependent upon her. Uh, she could not leave that child or just abandon that child. It would be a difficult situation. But our children have a right to our care, even if we don't consent to bringing them into existence. We're speaking with Trent Horn. He's an apologist for Catholic Answers and the host of the Council of Trent podcast. So you did get into a sort of fascinating conversation with Destiny about the source of morality. And this is really what all this comes down to, is that that if you don't believe that there is such a thing as an objective morality, you're likely to be able to spin off into whatever self-directed morality you choose. And, and that makes things very convenient for you. What do you think lies at sort of the fundamental level of the argument about the source of morality? Yeah, well, I think that for many people who don't want to make morality objective, uh, they might want to make it social. Uh, Destiny had a non-cognitivist position that morality is just an expression of disapproval. So if you say murder is wrong, that is literally the same thing as saying, boo, murder, I don't like murder. But most of us, when we talk about these moral issues, we're not just debating opinions. We understand that these are moral facts that we're talking about here. And so it doesn't work when we're trying to establish what should moral standards be for society. So if you try to root it morality in social opinions, you get a lot of problems. For example, uh, I would tell Destiny and other pro-choice people, if society eventually changed and said that abortion is immoral, would you agree with society? I think many of them would say, no, society's gone wrong. We have to get it back to for women's rights. Oh, okay, so you don't think that morality really comes from society because you want to reform and change society to make it in accord with your understanding of morality. All of that shows that morality can't come merely from society. We have to have a moral standard that transcends time, place, and culture. Now, as a Christian, I think the best explanation for that is there is a perfectly moral person, the source of goodness itself, God, who transcends time, place, and culture, and that's where moral standards come from. Well, again, go check out the work of Trent Horn. You can hear he's really, really good at this. His book is Persuasive Pro-Life, How to Talk About Our Culture's Toughest Issue. It's available over at Amazon. Thanks so much for your time, Trent. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We'll be back here with much, much more tomorrow. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 